0: The Catholics of Oz is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give.
1: The Catholics of Oz is a show where we discuss faith culture and what's been happening from an Aussie perspective whether it's synods or science apostolates and apps providence or productivity you can hear it right now on the Catholics of Oz Hello, I'm Lindsay Sant. Happy New Year. Welcome to another year of the Catholics of Oz on StarQuest. I'm Lindsay Sant, your host. So great to have you with us. And today I am joined by my fellow holiday maker, Lino Sabal. <laughs> How are you <laughs> this morning? I'm
0: <laughs> good, Lindsay. I'm good. Happy New Year, everyone. 2024. Yes, a whole new year and we're ready for another great year of Catholics of Oz. And yeah, Lindsay, we just had it on a holiday and it was amazing. Yep. I must. Admit, yeah, we just amazing. Uh,
1: yeah, so we took our. It was the three families on this holiday. We, mm. So we we're, we're we just arrived back to our homes yesterday. So <laughs> yesterday, a, yeah. Yeah. a little bit holiday <laughs> tired. Uh-huh. But we went to the yeah. Went to the went to San Remo, which is just before Phillip Island in Victoria, and it was wonderful and we'll say more about about it a little bit later on yep Caroline won't be joining us every year in January she's in New Zealand visiting her family so her nice family they're all New Zealanders so she's off in in Middle Earth right now enjoying that oh
0: awesome awesome
1: yeah and in fact, at time of recording yesterday, she was at, she managed to go to a soccer match. It was the Melbourne victory versus Wellington Phoenix. Oh, okay. Yeah, so she was surrounded by the enemy while she was cheering for Melbourne. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, so, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I right. thought she'd be a bit one path from, because she loves New Zealand and Australia. Of course she does. Know. Of
1: course she does. But, but she went for Melbourne. But anyway, okay, that's a whole, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> however, so Carol, she sent me photos. There was a, a big crowd of New Zealand Wellington <laughs> fans and there was a very quiet stand of about 20 Melbourne fans. Who are still very passionate? She said, but
0: yeah. "It can't be, yeah, yeah, twelve, yeah. We yeah. yeah. oh, were a cheering mob <clears> Can <throat> make a, yeah, make a yeah. lot of noise as I wanted to. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Melbourne fans turn up in Wellington, going make twenty seem like a <laughs> hundred. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. And they can do it, yeah, 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 definitely." <laughs> Yes. All right. Before we continue, as always, first of all, if you're new to listening to the Catholics of Oz, welcome. You've come at the right time. We've just started for the year. So hope you uh, enjoy the journey with us. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio or your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to give us a five star rating on any of the platforms you listen and some positive feedback so that we can uh, hear from you and also so that we can reach new people as well. SQPN also hosts the Catholics of Oz on YouTube, just search for SQPN there and you can subscribe, and don't forget to hit the bell to get notifications when new episodes are released. So, Lino, with that in mind, let's start with Faith Beyond Borders.
0: Well, I'm actually feeling rather good about this. I think we've all arrived at a very special
1: place, eh? Spiritually, ecumenically. How do you make somebody love you without affecting free will? Welcome to my world,
0: son. You come up with an answer to that one, you let me know. Yes, I had to work very hard to pass Latin and theology. Oh, quite. Those are, of course, the most important things. Oh, yeah. I'd sit this one out, Cap. don't see how I can. These guys come from legend. They're basically gods. There's only one god, man, And I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that.
1: So, you know, I have been keeping... When I say busy, not working hard, but I've been keeping my mind out. Do you always work hard, Lindsay? I'm always doing things. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But one of the things I'm involved with, I, I have been involved in over the last four, Two and a half, three years roughly. It has been long. Um, yeah. I can't yeah. Remember. Yeah. Post it's, before COVID, you started this so. dur- during COVID. It started yeah. during COVID. The way yeah, of the gospel the lockdowns and everything. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. And it's a, it's an ongoing project in the Archdiocese of Melbourne. Yeah. As you mm. mentioned, called take the way of the gospel. Yeah. Now the journey for me has been a helpful one because I've been learning a lot along the way mm. about, about the, so first when it was first announced, I was obviously for it. I'm like, yeah, we've got to shake up what we're doing. We need the, the that all of our parishes need to be able to grow more in their vibrancy, their vitality, their viability. That those yeah. are the buzzwords, by the way. <laughs> yeah, um, I love but, that one. The buzzwords. When, yeah, yeah yep, definitely. Yeah. But when it was, but when it was introduced to me, it's not like this was some new thing. It's this is what we always were supposed to be as a parish. And some mm-hmm. parishes do it well mm-hmm. uh, around the world as well. Some parishes do it well, and and some parishes are really struggling for different reasons. And we know the demographics of parishes right here in, in the Archdiocese of Melbourne, where you've got some that are thriving, have lots of people who are turning up and some where the population or the attendance at the, at that parish is declining for different reasons. Yeah. So yeah. the, the path of take the way of the gospel. Is one of missionary discipleship or based on my recent readings, intentional missionary discipleship, which I'll get to. Actually, that phrase I'll get to in another episode. Um, <laughs> okay. What happened was I picked up a couple of books that were recommended to me and I found time starting on January 1st to start reading them. So we had celebrated New Year's at my in-laws house and then the morning mm-hmm. after it was straight into some reading okay. and it's good. It, I, I don't mind because. It's not a chore to read about this topic. I actually do really love it. I'm, I'm very, yeah, yeah yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And not just me, you as well. We're very dedicated to the mission yes. of Christ. That's Definitely. why we do this podcast for as, as one, one thing that is part of our dedication, but also in other aspects of our life. And in particular, at the moment, I've been focusing on the life of my parish church. At my exactly. parish, yeah, at my parish or at our parish, I should say, because we go to the same one, Good Old Holy Family. Yeah, yep. yeah. I'm one of the take the way of the gospel coordinators, and there's another. There are two of us, so there's another one that I work with. And our role really is to support the parish priest in the renewal of our parish. Exactly. Um, especially mm-hmm. in the renewal for grading mm-hmm. pathway for everyone to intentional missionary discipleship. So getting to the point I was trying to make, I read, I've read a couple of books, but I want to focus on one this episode and one either next episode or in a future episode. But the first, the first book I wanted to focus on is a little, it's a short one. It's relatively short. It's about 200 odd pages and it's called Made for Mission by Tim Glankowski. And this one is good because it's, I'd say, it's short, sharp, simple, and it's straight to the point. It uses a couple of anecdotes to make the point as well, but it does help to get, to give a clear understanding of what parish renewal is, not just the nuts and bolts of what it is, but also why we do it. The the why is so important. Without the why... A lot of, that's the biggest question, isn't it? Our kids it,
0: ask, Why? And people say, yeah, why? "Why is this happening?" And then he, exactly you give the reason.
1: So yeah, yeah. And why mm-hmm. renew a parish at all? And <laughs> and <laughs> why even have parishes if we? What's the point of a parish if it's not doing what, what it was set up to do? And I'll get to that later on as well. <laughs> so I just wanted to provide a bit of a summary, and for two reasons. One, if you, whoever you are who are listening, if you're involved in renewal of a parish or if you've been thrust into the position of renewing a parish, or if you're if you've noticed that maybe your parish could be doing more, the people are there, but maybe not the direction, or, or or the parish priest has been asking questions but isn't sure himself. Whatever the situation might be, this might be a good one, especially at the start of the year, just to help you find a direction, a pathway, a purpose to to discern the renewal or the mission or the direction of your parish. The book itself is simply made for mission. The idea that parishes are made for a mission. The mission of a parish is to make missionary disciples, people who serve, who have said yes to Jesus intentionally and want to serve Jesus in the parish and in the world and and carry on his mission. I'm going to go through just a couple of basics. I won't do the book justice, but at least give a taster so that hopefully people will be encouraged to to pick up a copy themselves and read it. He starts by saying that parish renewal will not be the work of the moment or even a year or two, but it will be the work of the next 10 years. So it's a long Term mission that people are participating in. So if if the parish commits to yes, we want to renew, don't expect that you can just chuck in an alpha course and we've done it. Missionary decided.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, okay. Or, I, I have no feeling about that. Yeah. Yeah. Or buy the mm. next package that's there and and. You know, <laughs> Sorry, I was laughing. You know? yeah. When you say package, I yeah.
0: think of um, yeah, advertising and marketing. But that is not
1: the way that is. There are great <laughs> programs, packages, all kinds of things. Now, alpha is one that I just mentioned, which is mm, one that mm. we're looking at exploring more. There, there are heaps, right? Mm, but. Mm, mm. It's not enough to just say, let's do a, let's get a ministry of this up and running and done. Renewal sorted, we missionary disciples, we've changed the world, yes. But the answer is no, this actually we're talking about, he says at least a 10-year project. And I've been told 12 years, even longer sometimes as well. But he says that as we seek to build our, our parishes into missionary outposts of the new evangelization, there are four keys to help us determine simple and actionable ways to get there. So here are the four keys to getting there. First of all, that the parish has a clear vision. That's step number
0: one.
1: Mm, okay. We want ours, mm. our parishes to be missional, aimed at introducing parishioners and non-parishioners alike to a lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ. So every parish needs a vision that incorporates that language. That's the first thing. The second thing is that every parish provides a clear path to discipleship. So if we want this If we want to promote this life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ, parishes need to provide a pathway for that to happen for everyone. So he says here, we want our parishes to be equipped and formed to help people grow into the fullness of mature Catholicism and missionary discipleship. Number three, he said, leaders need to be well-formed, empowered, and sent to bear fruit. So it's about the role of leadership, because as we know, there is still the kind of perception that it's all up to Father. But it's not, because if no, father did everything, no, no. father would burn out. <laughs> father, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, it's like with everything, it yeah, has to be support and just understanding between twins. oh, team effort? Is it,
0: this is a yeah, great way to say it. Yeah, collaboration. Yeah, without
1: it, you're, you're dead, right? The project, You're in fact, without it, there are different, there are types of parishes, which I'll talk about in a moment very soon, which you'll see what they look like without leadership. Parishes need to form leaders who are both fruitful. That is, they bear fruit within the parish and in the larger community and in their day-to-day lives. And number four, nothing in the parish operates in maintenance mode. We want everything to be aligned with the mission to form disciples who can make disciples. So maintenance mode would look like, yeah, it's going all right here. We'll leave everything as it is. All right, so no growth, no being fruitful. We like what we have. It's comfortable. Let's just, why don't change anything. Just keep it comfortable. Mm, And yeah. yeah, so he is saying that needs to have fruitfulness, It needs to form disciples. And yet the important thing is this, everything is aligned so that disciples make disciples. And this is the key phrase to keep coming back to. Yeah. So he says, parish renewal, it really depends on changed lives and new disciples. This is the whole operation of the parish. It said, you and I don't have the power to do this uh, on our own, to form a single disciple. At the end of the day, it is God who makes this happen through grace. The power of the Holy Spirit brings about renewal. We cooperate through what we do, but we cannot do it alone. If we believed that truth more fully as a church, we will pray and act differently and we would start to see a real change. Plans are great. Prayers are better. We need both for renewal to happen. He says that this vision, to this mission of the parish, it's a great thing. It's what we all want. He says, but first, if you really want to work on getting from here, where you are now to there... You need to identify what the here of your parish is. Yeah, that makes sense. yeah. Yeah. Right. So you need to diagnose. So he says, when you diagnose your parish, you could, you'll probably come up with one of four answers, right? It says a parish could be, when you look at diagnosing the health of your parish, it could be a dying parish. So he says that a dying parish is one that might have once been surrounded by a large Catholic population. There were Catholics living in the area. Yep. Yeah. Yep, the yeah. The Catholic school was once full of students, but now there are not enough Catholics around to sustain the parish, the community or the school. And so what happens with a dying parish is it's usually combined with another one. They're amalgamated to create a solid base.
0: Yeah. Cause
1: it's, yeah, it's not about saying it's dying, therefore it's dead. When a, when parishes are in that dying phase, they're combined together so that there's enough, there's enough manpower, enough, enough resources to kick off renewal, except the two communities will have to do the renewal together because there isn't enough manpower to do it in the one community. So that's a dying parish. He says you could diagnose and find out that you're a declining parish. So he said, and he said, and now he's speaking in an American context, but I think a lot of that can translate into Australia To well. Australia in a so, um, sense, to yeah. it can be. The, 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 mm, yeah, mm, the Western definitely. world is fairly comparable in, in these diagnoses as well. Yeah, It says, many parishes are declining, whether they realize it or not. They can appear active and healthy. Attendance is generally the same over a number of years, and the weekly, weekly offering is relatively stable. However, underneath the surface, the parish is simply in maintenance mode. Declining parishes prefer stability and are not driven to form disciples. Declining parishes need to realize their situation and commit to doing the hard work of renewal. The people and resources are still there, but the parish is at a crossroads. It can move from declining to dying or declining to growing. Mm. So that's a declining Mm, parish. You look around. Yeah, there's people coming. Yep. The (coughs) weekly offering at Mass is pretty good. The collection, as they say, people are contributing. But the parish, there isn't a will to form disciples. It's simply turn up, attend mass, attend your ministry, whatever it might be, go home. That's it. I don't want any more. I don't want any less. Simple mm, as that. Yeah, just try um, it. Yeah. And yeah, he says, no, that's decline. That's decline and you are on your way to dying. And without renewal, you, will, you won't you will get to growing. You'll stay in maintenance mode and eventually you'll be, what happens to go, you'll have to be amalgamated with someone else. So that's, yeah, that's that one. Now, he says, another possibility when you diagnose yourself is that you could be a swelling parish. And he says, this is a parish where there are a large number of Catholic families, large mass attendances, healthy weekly offerings, and things look really good. However, he says, that parish needs to look beneath the surface and see if they are accomplishing the church's mission of forming disciples. Are they really doing this? He said, don't let a growth in numbers become a substitute for making disciples. Use the blessings of a large community and pray that God will send you a sense of urgency for mission so that the parish, the mission of the parish doesn't become focused simply on people showing up. So Spelling Parish's idea is that, yeah, there's tons of people coming. The weekly offerings are great. Mm -hmm. They keep talking about the weekly offering for some reason. Yeah. But, but the parish is still not making disciples or it's not really making disciples and its focus is on bringing people in. Yeah. Someone might say, but that sounds good. People are coming to church, right? But the key thing to go back to is this. The parish is not encouraging people to form a personal relationship with Christ, to be transformed by Christ by saying yes to him, and then by being transformed to go out into the world and make more disciples. If the parish isn't forming doing that function, then it's not doing the mission of Jesus. It is bringing people to church. That's it great. is. Yeah. yeah. But bringing people to church is not the mission. That Jesus didn't say go out into the world and make people come to Sunday Mass, all right? That wasn't that's all right. Obviously, I don't want to downplay Sunday Mass, so please don't mishear me, everyone who's listening. However, <laughs> the thing is, if people who are turning up are not being encouraged to form a relationship with Christ that they are transformed by, then the, the parish is still not doing its mission. But the good news for a swelling parish is you are so ready to you know you're to explode that mission in such a big way. Yes, exactly. And um, That's and, yeah. and what he says is pray for a sense of urgency. Get the parish leadership, get the parish, an urgency to for everyone to want to be disciples and get on this path of discipleship. Yeah. And then lastly, there's the growing parish. Now, this is the one that everyone should aim for. Okay. So he says one true diagnostic marker of a growing and healthy parish is forming disciples. That's it, right? He says, these parishes feel different. And he said, some of the things you might see are things like the adoration chapel is full, confession lines are full. The parish has a dynamic set of outreaches in terms of social justice and evangelization. He says, members of the parish are living out the mission of spreading the gospel in their own lives. Even if the parish is an area of decline, the number of families in the parish is holding steady or even growing. Dozens are baptized at Easter vigil each year. People are having life-changing encounters with Jesus on a regular basis. The parish is where people want to be, and they know the parish wants them to be there. Growing Mm. parishes may not fully be renewed into missionary outposts, but they are on their way there, and they are committed to the long-term journey of bringing about renewal by forming missionary disciples. So that, he says, is a growing parish, and that's the one that you basically want to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And he says two basic hallmarks of a healthy growing parish are one is that everyone in the parish understands that the mission of the parish is to form disciples, both of those in the pew and outside her walls. And yes, even people who are coming to Mass are committing themselves to being formed into disciples. They don't walk in and go, I know everything. I got everything. I listen to this podcast. I listen to the, the Catholic of Wales. I know everything there is to know. But it's, I want to be a disciple of Christ. And I want to commit to that. And I want to be transformed by my relationship with Jesus. Jesus, the first thing. Mm. The second thing that everyone in a growing parish is they have an abundantly clear understanding of what happens in the parish and in their lives using their unique gifts. So they are connected to the parish. They're connected to the parish's mission to form disciples, and they understand it, and they want to do it, and they're made welcome to do it as well. So he says, you must make the mission to form disciples central to everything that happens. It can't just be a statement on the parish website. It requires a strategic plan to get there. Now, I'll go through this very, very briefly. He provides a diet, a set of 10 questions that you can provide as a diagnostic for your own parish. And I'm going to read these fairly quickly. But what he says is you, you read the questions and you answer them from one to five, one being strongly disagree, five being strongly agree. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. So, yeah. So mm. the, yeah, the questions are our parish has a shared vision and or mission statement that focuses on the importance of discipleship for our community. Question two, the vast majority of our regular parish community knows what our vision or mission as a parish is three. Our pastor or priest has a, re- a leadership team that supports him in discipleship and evangelization efforts at a strategic level. Four, our homilists regularly preach on the need for a relationship with Jesus Christ. Five, our parish has staff members available specifically for the work of evangelization and discipleship. Six, our parish has evangelization opportunities readily available to everyone in our community. Eight, the vast majority of our parish community understands what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Nine, The vast majority of our parish community has attended an evangelization series and or been part of a discipleship small group. Ten parishioners are encouraged to become leaders and provided with formation and training to do so multiple times a year. And he says, add up your total. A score of 50 indicates a strong growing parish, which is what we all want to be. A lower score shows that improvement is needed in certain areas if we want to become a strong growing parish. Gotcha. Right, 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 right. So that's an important diagnosis to do, to see, first of all. And I would say, all right, you might do it on your own and get a particular answer. But I would say the best way to do it is to really have a humble meeting with a leadership team. Leadership team go through all that. the groups yeah. you have within your parish. Yeah. And yeah. go through it together. So, and come. Yeah, up. Definitely yeah. together. Yeah. So rather than A50 hey, because I think so, or A0 hey, because I'm really cynical. <laughs> because in a, a talk from Ron Huntley, who I've talked about before, who's a mm. leadership coach and parish renewal specialist, he's really good at all this. He said, as I mentioned before, he said, you want to get from here to there. There is a growing parish of formed, intentional missionary disciples where disciples are making disciples, da-da-da. Here... Is what you diagnose together. This is where Getcha. we are right now. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 So that's the first part. And I'm conscious of time. So I want to oh, be good. careful not to go over what it is good. But I talked about the diagnoses. What about the, what you can do once you've diagnosed your parish? So I just want to go through briefly some of the things he, he's he spoke about. So in the, in the book he says, we also need to know what the problem is as well. If we don't know what the problem is, the overall, he says, the real crisis, what is the real crisis in the church? Yeah,
0: that sort of that, makes sense with everything you have the discussion about. Yeah, yeah. if there's a problem or if there's a, an issue that needs to be discussed within the parish, bring it up and have a discussion and have a talk yep. with it. <clears throat> there's no point in going, oh yeah, just hide this issue, let's hide this problem, but it will get worse Correct. and worse. And it's yeah. happened in many times in the past. And yep. Yeah, understand.
1: Yes, we've seen it ourselves, haven't we? As well. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So definitely. definitely. Uh, yeah. So he says. He says you've got to get to the core of what the real crisis is. And in fact, we had Archbishop Common on the show once, talking about take the way of the gospel. And I think the question I threw to him was: Everyone's blaming the priests. Everyone's blaming the bishops. Everyone's blaming the schools. Everyone yeah. blames something else. Find something to blame. That's what we need to do. Now, Tim Glenkowski in his book, he makes it very clear. The real crisis in the church is not the pre-shortage, dipping donations, or even the low percentage of Catholics who attend Sunday mass. These are just the symptoms of a deeper cultural problem. The crisis yeah. in the church is our pervasive failure over multiple generations to form disciples. That's it. True. That's the crisis. That is true. Yes, that is that a hard truth about that. about that. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Yeah. All right. So yeah. Over decades, it's that we've forgotten the mission. And the thing is, I've grown up Catholic all my life. I've been in a parish all my life. I've never heard. I've heard of being a disciple, following Christ, and so on. But the idea of this is the mission of parishes. Um, I've never heard it put so in such clear language. Until the last, in the last, you know, most recent years, you know, in, in mm. recent years, especially mm, since mm. The start started this takeaway of the gospel journey. Mm. But he said, many of our parishes have operated for a long time, mainly as places for baptized Catholics to get together on Sundays for mass and receive the sacraments. Whether we like it or not, this maintenance mindset in a parish creates a, a definite culture. All right? So it, where people just sit on that maintenance mode and it's enough. But he says the fundamental problem is, that too few Catholics are intentional disciples of Jesus Christ. It's not the music, the preaching, the liturgy, the greeters, the religious education program, or the parish picnic. None of these are the core issue, so none of these can be the core solution. I thought that was a really great phrase. But yeah, he says, The problem is that for far too long, parishes have not explicitly invited people to hand over their life to Jesus Christ, help them grow in the fullness of Christian maturity, and then send them on mission to go and do the same for and with others. Before we can turn our attention to outside the parish walls to re-evangelize the secular world, we first have to deal with the crisis of a lack of intentional discipleship in our pews. If we fix this problem, we fix our parish culture. And he says, the attitude of of a parish community should be one of intentional missionary discipleship. This should be the sole goal of everything we do. Otherwise, we will simply be shuffling strategies and getting nowhere. He talks about the importance of evangelization. And he quotes Pope St. John Paul II on what a relationship with Jesus is. Pope John Paul II said the following. He said, It is Jesus that you seek when you dream of happiness. He is waiting for you when nothing else satisfies you. He is the beauty to which you are so attracted. It is he who provoked you with that thirst for fullness, will not let you settle for compromise. It is he who urges you to shed the masks of a false life. It is he who reads your heart your most genuine choices, the choices that others try to stifle. It is Jesus who stirs in you the desire to do something great with your lives, the will to follow an ideal, the refusal to allow yourself to be ground down by mediocrity, the courage to commit yourself humbly and patiently to improving yourselves and society, making the world more human and more fraternal. This is what he says is is the fruit of a, of a being transformed by Jesus, is that this is what Jesus stirs in us. And even that more human and more fraternal, this is Pope Francis, he's obviously in the vein of John Paul II, he's picking up on that thread, and he's been pushing that a lot in his pontificate. So, yeah, intentional disciples, relationship with Jesus, these are the goals of the parish. In five minutes or less, I'll go through some of the steps he's talked about in terms of this parish renewal to be able to do this. So says the strategies involved, the first strategy of fall is to cast a vision. He said, where do we begin? The very first step is to reconnect people with the Catholic Church's core value, her why. Is the church's why the driving force between what we do, behind what we do in our parish? Casting a vision helps everyone with a common understanding of the mission of our parish. It helps to craft a clear picture in people's minds of the ideal parish identity and also how to get it back. So he says, have a clear vision that is based on God's vision for your own parish. Now he says, Jesus gave the vision in Matthew 28, go out to the world, baptizing the world, making disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I've paraphrased that very poorly, but everyone gets the idea. And he says, and as we cast this vision, so says, don't just make it up. He says, it requires the Holy Spirit. It requires intercessory prayer. It requires uh, relying on the Holy Spirit in our lives. He says, ask parishioners to pray every day to for the help of the Holy Spirit to come and lead renewal in the parish. Okay. And he says, okay. once you've mm-hmm. got that vision, mm-hmm. yeah. So in terms of casting a vision, then it needs to be communicated. This is our why. Explain to parishioners, over communicate, because they're not all going to understand straight away. Because if you're in a maintenance mindset, there's going to be a lot of people that don't want to move. They're happy with things the way they are. And yeah. saying well, we need to all become intentional missionary disciples is very uncomfortable. It's going to, it's going to, we have to think about how other people are going to feel and support them because whenever you talk about change equals discomfort. So how do we compassionately bring people along and help them to see that the reason they've been going to parish, whatever it might be, is because the mission of the parish is to support them in their personal transforming relationship with Jesus so that they can, can then become fully fledged missionary disciples working with others to do the mission of, of Christ. Exactly. So exactly. it's got to be communicated. Mm. Yeah. So it's got to be communicated very clearly. Then it says, craft a clear path to discipleship. Once the vision's done, work on this clear path to discipleship. He says, because the mission of the parish is to form disciples, it should be abundantly clear to each leader and each parishioner how the parish actually accomplishes that mission. So he says, basically all the, mission, the ministries of the parish need to be supporting the vision. Now, they don't have to all be like our mission is to form missionary discipleships in our ministry or missionary disciples in our ministry, but they do need to support the overall vision, helping to support that pathway to missionary discipleship for everyone. And he says it is more desirable to have five impactful and fruitful ministries in the parish which support these goals instead of 157 different ministries which burn out their volunteers and fail to help participants go deeper. So that's the next one. And by the way, I'm summarizing these So briefly, there's a lot more that he says about each. I was about to ask you what the five were, but yeah, you understand. Well, what the five are that really depends on the parish. In 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 the back of the book, that makes sense. whole different different Mm, things that you mm, know could mm, be part mm. of that. The Alpha course comes up. Alpha is being picked up in lots of places around Melbourne at the moment. Later on, if I have more exposure to it, I might do an episode on it and talk about it as well. He says that's important. Number three, he says, mobilize your leaders. Right, get the leaders mobilized. So they need to be formed in missionary discipleship, in their understanding of it, and also in doing it. And they need to, they need to be part of this 10 year strategy. He says they spend the first year just getting to understand the lay of the land. This is the priest, right? And ministry leaders and so on. This leadership team, get the lay of the land. By year two, they start making small changes. By year three, they should really start to push forward with the vision. By years five and six, real cultural change is just starting to happen. In year six, they are they're gone. All right. So parish priest is gone or the leader, they've moved on, this happens. And at this point, though, when they're gone, the there are already torchbearers, new people who've been trained and gone along the way who pick up and continue that renewal process. And he says, one way to think about it is Think about Jesus and the way he sent his followers. You had yeah. Jesus. That's a good, great example. That yep. makes sense. Yeah. Yep. He's, he set the model, right? Definitely. You know, yep. So Definitely. Jesus taught and he cast the vision, right? He he gave the vision. Then he had his closest, closest disciples who who helped him to carry out the ministry and then he he talks about the, the sending of the 72. At one point, Jesus sends 72 to go and proclaim his mission as well in the Gospels. So he says, imagine that's the model, and let's call it vision, strategy, and tactics. So the way it translates into a modern parish is that the vision is the work of the priest. The priest helps to set that visionary leadership, lays the vision down, and supports people to understand it. The leadership team, the strategy they support, maintain, maybe not maintain, assess is a better word, assess the different strategies that the parish is currently doing to support that vision. And they make recommendations and they look at new strategies. And strategy could mean, again, bring in an alpha series, host a specific Eucharistic adoration, revive the youth ministry, whatever it might be, all those different things. But those are the strategies, those five good things that are bearing fruit in missionary discipleship. And so that's the senior leadership team. And then the tactics is the 72, as he calls it. And these are, who are your missionary disciples right now? And who will you form into missionary disciples? They're going to help lead ministries in whatever those those fruitful ministries that are bearing disciples. Because those 72 are going to become I can't double 72 right now off the top of my head. 130, 134. Okay. I'm sorry about my back, everyone. I just, uh, I'm in holiday mode. But anyway, the point is that your disciples are going to make disciples in the parish and they're yeah. going to be the torchbearers. that they're going to be the next and this rolling on multiplying effect. We talked about this from Ron Huntley's talk from would have been in July last year, a podcast on that on where we well, did a summary of his work. And so the last step is align everything. Line everything up so it's all, all supporting the renewal of the parish for that mission of missionary discipleship. And he said there are four areas that need to be aligned most importantly. Sacramental preparation. So that is preparing people for the sacraments, whether they're children, their families, if it's baptism or RCIA, which is the, we talked about the right of Christian initiation of adults before oh, yeah, and yeah. the process of that. But if, if you've got adults coming into the parish, that, that RCIA ministry needs to be lined up. Now it says here, religious education. Now that's probably more of an American thing that where they do specific religious education classes in parishes. However, anything that teaches the faith in the parish, because there are lots of ministries that educate, whatever they in what they class as education needs to be aligned with the the mission or the vision of the, of the parish communications from the parish, how everything that's communicated, how it's communicated, whether it's a, whether it's a within a ministry, whether it's your website, whether it's your social media. Whatever it might be, all the internal, and external communication needs to be aligned as well for that vision. And then your major liturgical holy days as well. So Christmas, Ash Wednesday, Easter, et cetera. And these are important because these can be where your intake is because as we know, a lot of people who don't necessarily come to the parish often, they, they will turn up for those major holy days. And if they're invited to hang around, if there's some kind of invitation that helps them build trust with God, or trust with an element of of the parish, then they're more likely to turn up and be part of that that journey to discipleship too. So again, he goes into a lot more detail and he even provides some key tips and practical steps on how to on how to carry out those four steps. But that would be a five hour podcast if we did that, which we don't want to do. Um, <laughs> A lot yeah. to talk about. So, a lot of understanding. Oh, for sure. It's a con- it's an ongoing conversation. But it's, it's great. a ten year journey. It's yeah, it's a ten year journey. Done yeah. our best yeah. to summarise it in thirty five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Lino, do you have any any thoughts, comments about anything that you heard there? What stood out to you?
0: Definitely, the, yeah. other, the question is, is: a lot of people would ask, and I'm not saying they would, but a lot would. Mm. In the sense is, if that old saying that you know, if, if it's not broke. It doesn't need to be fixed. I'm not Correct. saying our faith in our Catholic, um, family is broken. It's just that we need to, um, encourage more people to have faith within each other. And mm-hmm. this is just the way of the gospel. Is the way the gospel leads or?
1: Yeah, they take the way of the gospel. Take, take yeah. away with the Melbourne, gospel. Yes, yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Anyway, yeah. yeah. And it needs to enrich more in our faith. And like you said, Lindsay, if we're going to stay as we are, it's going to be the stagnant line. And there's no more, it's not enough encouragement. It's, there's not beginning a lot of growth in within this, within the diocese with each generation. As you, you and I have seen it, there's a lot of, there's been change and in these, in some of that has been good change and a lot of people have disagreed about the change and some have agreed to, about, about the change. But this, mm. we need to, I think a lot of people need to understand this is a positive change within our, at our parish. Yeah. And it needs to be done because, and like you said, it depends on what the parishes are and what, what they do. And I feel that, yeah, this, this is, this is a great step towards doing within, what we need to do within our parish and other parishes yeah. as well. I love the way you're explaining the different parts of where the parishes are, the ones yeah. that have a lot more people. A lot more people come to Mass and some people who don't, a lot of come to Mass. And then each of them will have their own, it, whether they're salients, have their own sort of strategies and, and plans yeah. of the way of the gospel through their parishes. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, and that's the thing. Not every parish, you mm. can't just take a strategy from one. Exactly. And photocopy it and stick it into <laughs> the, <laughs> the parish next door because, yeah, every local context has its own culture, its own. Exactly. Demographic, it's like there might be a younger or an older or a particular, there might be an, a, a strong representation of a particular culture or cultures, cultural backgrounds. So true. That that is true. All of that needs to be taken into account when a parish casts its vision and, and its strategy. It needs to help connect people with the idea that you were baptized into Christ. And when you were baptized into Christ, but you, someone on your behalf, or you said yourself, yes, to a personal relationship with Jesus. And now, If you haven't realized it yet, it's time for you to be transformed by that relationship so that you can carry out that mission, not on your own, with others and with confidence as well. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. All right. So if you've, if anyone who's listening, if you have any thoughts on that, please let us know what what you think, because um, this is a topic that I think is very important. I've been, this is my third year, yes, in the role at my parish. So things are just in their infancy, but this year we're really looking at doing some moving and shaking. So maybe you're ahead and I'd love to know how you're going and what, mm. what you've done well and what mistakes you found that, that maybe pitfalls that we should try and avoid. I'd love to avoid them if we can. And yeah, or if you're looking for more, more advice on starting or, or just want to understand some more things, some more detail about what I've learned, I'm more than happy to share too. Or you can read the book because the book
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. It'll be good. It would be nice. It will be good nice to hear feedback about this from other different perspectives of other countries. Absolutely. And because around the world. Give yeah. us a comment on how it's going in a tropical Bahamas or or, <laughs> or somewhere cold in England. But just let us know. Because we'll, and then the, we can give feedback on how we're doing in Australia. Even yeah. though it's parts of Australia we have different Like Lindsay said, cultures, different situations happening. But yeah, we'd love to hear that, hear that feedback.
1: And if you do have a parish in a beautiful tropic setting (laughs) and the renewal's going really well, I'd love to come and visit. uh (laughs) and see how it's all going (laughs) I
0: don't know
1: (laughs) I don't talk to Dom about that we'll see how we go there (laughs) QPN Starquest sponsored trip yeah I'm sure that will go down really well all I have to do is tell Dom not for me we should all go (laughs) definitely yeah yeah for sure (laughs) alright before we get fired let's move on (laughs) and let's talk about science Uh, what a fine day for science
0: you have any hobbies?
1: I collect spores, molds and fungus can you reverse the polarity? I'll do my best. Science,
0: science, 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 science. Science, 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 science,
1: science. science. Yeah, I like science. So uh, normally Caroline would do this, but Caroline, as we mentioned uh, at the top of the show, she's in New Zealand, enjoying herself. She's having having some family time now, and she will be. She's already got some science topics prepared to go. And I know she can't wait to share those with us. But because it's you and me, Lito, mm-hmm. I thought we'd, we'll do one. Yep. And now, so yep. what I thought was, let's capitalize on what we've done. So just uh, yeah. like I mentioned, we just came back from uh, a holiday at San <laughs> yes. Remo. Which yep. is not in Italy, in Victoria. <laughs> when you put it yeah. into the GPS, we went, wow, there's one in the US yeah. as well. What? what? <laughs> Fifteen thousand miles. What? Yeah, <laughs> no. San Remo, Victoria, which is right next to Phillip Island. So there's a bridge, there's a road and a bridge that connects to Phillip Island, and we were literally a minute's drive away from that bridge. So yeah. uh, the, the main attraction wasn't necessarily San Remo, it was Phillip Island. It was going there. So and that's most of our activities. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. Phillip Island is known internationally. For one, for a few things, but Who one thing in particular, you know, what is the one thing in particular that people will oh, know Philip Island? Look, that
0: we have the most cutest, adorable, work ethic Victorian mm. penguins we have ever yep. seen.
1: Yep. Yep. Definitely, definitely. Now, <laughs> I know that a lot of people joke about the animals. In Victoria and insects that are, uh, in, in Australia, they're trying to kill everyone. And yes, those do exist. <laughs> yeah, they but do, we do exist. we also have some nice ones too. Yeah, We've definitely. Got some nice ones, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Now, and the little penguins—they're called little penguins. That's their thats what they're officially called. They—they yep. they would be one of them. They are these beautiful, cute, fun to watch little creatures. And so there's an attraction at Phillip Island which has been running for decades now, which is very, to watch the very penguin long. parade. Yes. Yeah. Yep. 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 Now. The penguin parade exists, not, it doesn't exploit the animals. It's actually there to support the conservation efforts of the penguins and of other species that live on Phillip Island. Phillip Island has a lot of natural habitats and there are some species which, you know, which are under threat or some species which have been protected because of those conservation efforts. What they do is you can pay some money, like you you buy your tickets and you go to go to the beach at Phillip Island, this particular location, and they set up some stands where you can sit. And you can watch the penguins come in the evening, so they 've been out all day or out for a couple of days, and you watch them walk in from the ocean and go to their burrows and it's the cutest thing you'll ever see it's so nice mm, um, mm, and we mm. were fortunate because this year they actually let us sit on the beach, which so has sat- yeah, yes, yeah, so cool, so we sat at ground level watching the penguins come in, and oh man, it was so <laughs> yeah, it was so good, yeah, so just a couple of facts about the penguins is what I want to share today, so the little penguins, their scientific name is Eudiptyla Minor. They're from the penguin bird family. They're one of the smallest penguins that exists. And now their status is least concerned. So they're no longer endangered. And that's because, and we learned this from Tom, who's guide. Guide. Or the ranger, the ranger. ranger. Yeah. yeah. Yep. yeah. So he so said, if you have any questions asked, so he walked past us I'm like, Tom, oh, question. So anyway, <laughs> he was telling us that that the population, since, since humans intervened to look after the colony on Phillip Island, the population has doubled over the last, I think it's 20 years. So where it was low at 15,000 or I think it was 12,000 or something like that, it's gone past mm. 30,000 now. Mm. So the population, nice. since they put strategies in to look, to protect them, they have the population has more than doubled. Now, Philip Island Nature Parks has a strategy or a vision. And their vision is to make Philip Island a place where conservation and ecotourism excellence inspires people to actively protect the environment. So they want people to be able to see and interact with the animals without, without disrupting their natural lives in order to be inspired to look after, to, in, in our language, to care for God's creation is what we would say, right? Stewardship of creation. The little penguin usually averages around 40 to 45 centimeters tall. And they weigh on average about one kilo. So they're very small and very light. Mm, it's the smallest mm. penguin in the world and was made internationally famous thanks to Philip Island's Penguin Parade. So for penguins, mm. the little penguin is highly adapted for life in the sea. Its body is streamlined, its wings are modified as flippers and its feathers are densely distributed over its body. The upper parts, including the back of the little penguin, are distinctly blue, which explains one of its alternative names, Blue Penguin, and the underbelly is white. Now it doesn't say here on the website, but he explained that the blue, the blue sort of line. Camouflage yeah, it's like a camouflage. Yeah. So if a predator yeah, from, was looking from above, from uh, above, yeah, they, they would, they would camouflage in the sea so that they are. Um, yes. Yeah. So it's yeah. because they are, there are predators who, you know, who would attack and eat these penguins too. That's the circle of life.
0: Um, I was about to say, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, so I heard, of
0: yeah, I think I'm thinking of a lion king from there, but. It is, but it's good to see they have some camouflage
1: in, yeah. in the water and they, whew, wow. I was just thinking, Simba, everything that touches, the light touches is yours, yeah. Oh, it's so <laughs> philosophical. I know it, yeah. <laughs> the bill of the little penguin is grey-black with a pinkish lower base and its iris is pale grey to white. The, there's one New Zealand pop- population that has broad white borders to the flippers And are considered as by some as a separate species. Young penguins are bluer than adults. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, the little penguins also known as the fairy penguin because of its small size. Now, on a on land at night, little penguins are noisy, particularly before and during breeding. They also Mm. call intermittently Mm. at sea, their yapping sound like a small dog. Lena, would you like to talk about the experience of walking across the boardwalk? The sound of all these penguins.
0: (sighs) It was, for me personally, it was absolutely beautiful. I, all these penguins just calling to each other. And, and it, to, what did Tom, it, it's just Tom, Tom, his yeah. Because, yeah. He was saying that they had 17 different kind of calls mm. or something. what yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember if he said it or read about it. Yeah. But yeah, you just see these different calls and it is, it, you can notice the more the adult ones when they're a bit more, mm, yeah, mm, mm, more <laughs> grumpy, but <laughs> uh, more yeah. gruff, 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 no, um, apologies. I, Gruffy. Yeah. And then you got the little high pitched one where they're the chicks and they're the one. Where's mummy and daddy? I'm, I'm ready for baby fed. Yeah. And it's, especially myself. I don't think we've ever been through that. Yeah. I think when we saw the per- uh, penguin parade. Back when we would took when we went for the high school, we, we I just remember us as walking back and that was ah, it. Oh yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And there were no lights. Yeah. I think maybe one not a floodlight, but one couple of lights yeah, and, yeah. We, and we would just push through mm-hmm. and back to our bus. Yeah. We didn't have time to have a look at the penguins. I yeah. we just didn't remember. No, that. We,
1: yeah, we but, got to enjoy it in a really special way, didn't we, the other night? We uh, did. Yeah, you walk, We did. Yeah. You turn up to the center, you yeah. get your, your tickets checked, and everything, and then you go through and it's a boardwalk of a, a couple of hundred meters. Exactly. I
0: don't think we had that. Yeah, yeah back in the days. So. Yeah.
1: So yeah, now the boardwalk is good because it elevates you above the ground so that you're not walking through yes. the penguins' habitats. And when it, it's lights, you know, you have to go in the evening, but you start with the light before the sun, before sunset and you can mm-hmm. see all the burrows mm-hmm. that the penguins have dug. So you can see where they're, you know, exactly. where they're going to basically. Because Where are you going can, to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can go up to two kilometers inland, so they come out of the sea and they mm. walk another two mm. k. Some of them to find <laughs> their burrow. Yeah, just poor things. Oh. Um yeah. Ooh. But the when you're walking back from the boardwalk, it's dark except for a few light, small lights. A few lights, lights yeah. like very dim um, yeah. lights. Now yes. they have to be careful with the lights because a normal light, like a flashlight, would actually blind the penguins. Their eyes are very sensitive. Exactly. So they use very lights sensitive. that the penguins the penguins can't see. Their eyes can't pick up the spectrum <clears throat> of that light, but we can. So we can. Yeah, so, we, but we were walking. Yeah, exactly. We walk through at night, and all you can hear is these all is, these penguins. All claws. these you know, 600 meter walk and you can hear it and it's amazing and the other thing amazing. is amazing we could after we saw them coming out of the sea we still see them walking back don't we like we're walking with them exactly you know, like side with by it. side not um, and you can they're standing there and they're calling and they're flapping their flippers and you're literally 30 centimeters away watching this beautiful thing this mm-hmm. beautiful penguin call and walk and slap the other penguins and you know, all the things that, you know, that they were doing <laughs> the only thing you're not allowed to do is take photos and that's exactly and, that's and I don't think contested. you're allowed to touch them Attention.
0: No, definitely
1: can't. T- we we, we yeah. couldn't actually. Yeah. Could. No, we no, no, definitely not. No, but you can't take photos and that's spot but for their protection,
0: but it, yeah. it is un- unbelievable. Yeah. It's just the sight and the sound is enough to appreciate what the poor things have to go in. Was it, was it what are they saying? 30 or oh no, thousand K's away to not that long, not that yeah. far, but, but no, yeah, no, certainly yeah. a
1: couple of kilometers. Yeah. No, so they can Commodus. travel. I might go with this then later because that's actually the next part as well. Because it says here, They spend most of the day at sea feeding and they come ashore to their coastal habitats at night, which we just talked about. They can sleep they can sleep at sea, snoozing away on the water surface. They can travel 30 kilometers away from the colony during breeding. 30. But gotcha. But they can travel over a thousand kilometers when they're not breeding. It says here today Phillip Island, Victoria, is the home to the largest penguin colony in the world, and they host the famous Penguin Parade which we view from the platforms, boardwalks, untouched beaches, and so on as you watch them waddle home to their burrows. Like many other severely threatened colonies of little penguins, Phillip Island's penguins were once on the brink of ceasing to exist. In the 1980s, scientists found that the land-based threats were having a major impact on the colony. These included habitat destruction from housing environments, traffic, housing development, sorry, fire, pests, and industrial fishing. At the time it looked like these threats were going to wipe them out by the 1990s. In response, the Penguin Protection Program was established. The Victorian government began buying back land in the Summerland Estate, located in the middle of the colony. Roads were closed, introduced predators like red foxes were eliminated, and a house and a housing estate was removed. Extensive conservation work has happened then since the 1980s and has increased the little penguins numbers. So here's the numbers here. So while there were 12,000 in the mid 1980s and declining, Phillip Island is now home to about 32,000 little penguins. Phillip Island is a unique example of how conservation objectives and visitor management can be achieved in parallels. What they want is people to be able to see the penguins, but also preserve the penguins environment so that they don't not interfered with as well. So a couple of other facts very quickly. So they, this is about their feeding. They forage for food at sea, mostly from dawn, from dawn to an hour before dusk. Little penguins swim with their flippers and use their tail for guidance. So they feed on small shoaling fish and cephalopods and to a lesser extent on crustaceans, which they capture and swallow underwater. Although several birds may pursue the same shoal, they uh, feed singly, though they don't work together usually. And yes, when they breed, they only cover short distances. They don't go that far away. A foraging bird can dive from 6 to 69 meters. The average is about 30 with a speed of about 1.5 to 2 meters a second and remain submerged for over a minute. After feeding, the little penguins approach the colony in tight groups, remaining offshore until dusk. At dusk, they come ashore um, and cross the beach and head to their burrows. And so we saw this, right? So you sit there for maybe 45 minutes waiting. Because you could, there's no, it's not like they're scheduled to come exactly at 10 o'clock. They come <laughs> when, when the, yeah. When the sun has yeah. gone down and it's dark enough, that's when they come out. And so you can exactly. just see little groups just standing around as, and just waddling around on the, on the edge of the, <laughs> of the beach until there's enough of them. And then the group will just slowly, and you can see how tired the poor things are. They're just, oh, they being... their way. They don't rush. They're just moving very slowly. Oh, look. Yeah. Their the, the work done, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and you <laughs> just watch them walk. Like... Yeah. It's going got the hill. Very cute. It's, it was it's such, it a, is, such it a pleasure to watch it, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then just lastly, very briefly, just on breeding. So the males search for mates by advertising outside the nesting area. After pairing, the calling continues at the nest site to maintain uh, their pair bond. During courtship, both birds stand erect with flippers spread and heads bowed and walk in tight circles around the nest site, calling loudly as they go. I'm not sure if that's like their little (laughs) wedding ceremony or something like that, but that's what they do. It could be. Yeah. Because it it says here they form (laughs) long-term monogamous pairing bonds with a separation rate of about 18%. (laughs) A bird will first breed when it's two to three years old. The breeding season varies Mm. in different parts of the country.
0: They both dig. Yeah. yeah, They both
1: dig the burrow and the male does a lot of the digging, but the female helps as well. The burrows can be as far as 200 meters inland and 50 meters above sea level. Wow. Yeah, and the dunes or other soft soil are usually chosen, and we saw this as well. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they might use caves or crevices in rocks as well. They return to the same part of the colony each year, although not necessarily to the same burrow. Both parents contribute to the nest building, and the majority is done by the male. The nests may vary from a thick mat of grass to a few strands usually collected within a few meters of the burrow entrance. The parents defend the small area and the entrance to the burrow. And that's why the burrows are usually spaced about five to 10 meters apart. They're rarely closer than, than two meters. So aggressive encounters range from posturing and calling to fights involving pecking, shoving and slapping cool. the flippers. <laughs> <laughs> Young, yeah, So they they can get a bit nasty with each other. Young birds wander out of their parents' territory and will be attacked by other adults. So they've got to be careful what they wander to. Yeah, um, where well, they wanted to. Two. Yeah. Sounds has they got bad neighbours. Yeah. Very nice. Come yeah, on. Right. Yeah, oh. they, they they like their mates, but not their neighbours from looks of it. But they <laughs> will walk together in packs to get off the beach to their home, so that's pretty good. Oh, no! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they both incubate the eggs, and there's about 68 hours between laying of the first and the second egg, and they both hatch together. A newly hatched chick is covered in dark grey down, which is soon replaced by a second coat. A chocolate brown in color. Their eyes are just open at one day and are fully open at one week. The feathers start to emerge after four weeks and by eight weeks, a few, only a few patches of the down remain. So when they look after their young, it's shared by both parents. Just a few days after the chicks hatch, the adults alternate daily with one parent guarding the nest and the other foraging at the sea. After two weeks, both parents go to the sea each day, returning in the evening or staying away for several days. Hungry chicks can beg vigorously to be fed, pursuing their parents <laughs> until their persistence drives the adults from the nest. They're like, get out there and come hungry! <laughs> oh
0: my goodness! Yeah.
1: Wow! Yeah. So that's the little penguin that we experienced. So it was a great evening. And if you're in Australia, if you're in Victoria, go to the Phillip Island Penguin Parade. It's one thing that you must put on your bucket list. It's a great definitely. Evening. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And definitely, you can get there early and have dinner there if you want. They've got restaurants and dining yep. and things like that. So is a, yeah. So you get there a couple of hours early and just enjoy and learn about penguins. There's cool lots awesome. of displays and everything, and then go for it. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. All right, with that in mind, let's move on, Lino. We'll just very briefly because we've been over time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And let's talk about entertainment. I don't know where
0: you get your delusions.
1: Not what we came here to do. No, that's what I'm going to do. I have a plan. You've got a plan. I have part of a plan. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? All right, so Lino. A couple of things have been entertaining us recently. We've uh, spent the last week together with our, you know, with our families and friends. Where do we start? We I don't uh, know. We've been on holiday to Phillip We've talked about that. Yeah. And oh, one thing we have been doing is we've been watching the tennis. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, the yes, 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 Yes. Um, yes. Uh, watching a lot of Australians. Great matches. Limited. Yeah, great matches, yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think even last night, I must be a slight curse for us. I was yeah. watching one of our last time uh, female players last night and she mm-hmm. was doing well. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think it's just caught up. I think the, the opponent yeah. know who, how people yes. know. If you just saw strategies and yeah. everything like that. So yeah, it look in her defense she defense she did very well. And yeah. to get where she was, yeah. we're qualifying yeah. to where she is done very well. And she's more of a doubles player. Yeah, um, she I
1: think she's like the number one watched. doubles player. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but she but, yeah. but she did very well. Yeah. Which is good. It's good if they lose a match, at least if they lose a playing really like strongly, mm. that's the important mm. thing, right? Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, yes,
1: exactly, exactly. Yeah, we've been following Alex Diminor, that's a that's been really good. Yeah. Enjoying his yep. yeah, like his play. I haven't seen the result yet, but I wanted to see who won out of Andre Rubilev and Sebastian Corda. Um, Sebastian Corda I think lost. Yeah, We've I, thought he, I thought he might because yeah. So uh, Rupley oh, okay. is higher, but Corder is an American player that I like watching. He's a good okay. one. Badly, yep, yep, yep. Uh, we saw another American go down. That was Ben Shelton. Shelton, he went out. He yeah, bowed out Ben Shelton. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, all eyes are on Australian favorite Alex Diminor. Alex, to, yeah. yeah, and look, he's doing well. He's, doing
0: well. he's do- I this year he's really changed his, his way of playing. Yeah. So just quickly, yeah, he's really changed from last year. Yeah. And previous years, so. It's doing well. Isn't yeah. It's a good strategy. It's a good yeah. strategy with him not playing. Uh, was it a week before? Yeah, the Grand Slam. Yeah, to refresh. Give him a bit yeah. of rest, yeah. refresh, and just get yeah. into rhythm. And maybe because he has a has a new partner in, in the too, I yeah. don't know.
1: Maybe that's and, good. And considering in his in the lead up before that refreshing week, he'd beaten who did he beat? He beat Djokovic. Yes, he beat Novak. Is it is yeah. Was his favorite? No. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was. No. But he beat a couple oh. of big names anyway. That's the important thing. Oh, Alcaraz. Yep. Hit Alcaraz. <laughs> Alcaraz. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was uh, like a, yeah. Uh, not Thanksgiving. Charity what match. I'm to say. <laughs> yeah. Charity match. Uh, yeah. Thanksgiving. So absolutely. he beat a couple of big names and got into. Number 10 position. He's world number 10 now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. 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 So he achieved everything he needed to in his preparation for the Australian Open. Yeah. Now he's doing, he's got into the fourth round, which is the highest he's been in the Australian round. Open. So he's into week two. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think and his, his goal, his goal at the moment, he wants well, the quarterfinals is probably be. Yeah. but He's got to win the next match he's against Andre Rublev. I think he's capable. It's going to be a tough match, but. Yeah. But as really you can tell, we're tennis. We're, we're enjoying, like, we, were watching, like, we had, to, had all the kids there. The kids are watching with us and cheering with us. Yeah. So, oh, uh, yeah. It was good. It was very yeah. good. Yeah. So if anyone else is watching the Australian Open, yeah, let us know how you go. Tell us about your <laughs> favorites as well. Very briefly, I just remembered I, I watched just before we went on holidays, Disney Plus released a series called Echo. Echo is one of the characters associated with Daredevil in the Marvel comics. Yeah. So they did a five episode series on her character. And they released them all at once, which was good. It was a short Mm -hmm. story. I enjoyed it a lot. Thought the ending was probably a little bit rushed. However, I enjoyed it. There was a brief cameo by another hero that I really like. I think I already hinted that Mm. that might be. That was awesome. However, Mm -hmm. now Vincent Diaforino, I struggle to say his name, who plays dead, not devil, who plays uh, Kingpin in Daredevil, featured heavily. He was an important character. So it was really good to see him back and he's just as good as ever. Yeah. Mm, uh, it was mm. a bit more gritty. So it was that more, it's street level, that kind of thing. So it's, of course, a bit more okay. gritty, but really enjoyed it. I thought it was really overall. It was a good story.
0: Nice, but nice. some of the bit,
1: a bit of the rushed and whatever, but yeah, had fun okay. with it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. so we talked about the Penguin Parade already. So yeah, totally recommend it. Oh, yeah, look, yeah.
0: Our holiday was awesome. I really enjoyed it. At times I was so tired and to come back and oh, Okay. Yeah. And then I oh, heard you guys have played tennis a little bit too over there? So yeah. Oh, yeah. So it good. It was, oh, like, yes. uh, good. was, there was good.
1: a public tennis court. That was available, so I took we took our tennis rackets and <laughs> took my son for a hit. Yeah, with some of the others. Yeah, that was good too. Yes, yeah. Jerry came along, cool, so it was cool, good. Cool. Yeah, had a hit. Anything
0: else, Lino? Or for our side, we're watching a series called Deathlock, based in Tasmania. Again, this is more of a, a mystery. Uh, the last one was Rosehaven. That was more of a comedy, um, real yeah. estate one. But this one here is about. Um, I think there's funny about a murderer around, around that area. Yeah. And Jack Reacher. I okay. call Don't, my name's Reacher, not Reacher. Jack Reacher. I not <laughs> yeah. right. It's Reacher. So yeah. we've been watching Reacher. Yeah. And I, ah, what was the one I'm really want to keep on watching is, um, the, the new Lord, Lord of the Rings. I'm can't wait for the this. Second oh, season. yeah. I'm hanging out for that. the first six? Yes. It yes. yes. Very good. I really, yeah. in, really enjoyed it. Yes. And of course, the tennis. You know, I'm yeah. really enjoying the, watching the tennis. Yeah. This year, it was great to see Australians really Maybe, yeah, they were move. winning round four. Oh no, round three yeah. at least. Yeah. Getting, <laughs> sorry, getting to sorry, getting into round hard. three. Yeah,
1: they, yeah, that lost. It was the, great the to ones see. Lost, lost, fought really hard. They were impressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Mm. Yeah. It looked like we were about like in round one. It was like, oh gosh, there's so yeah, many of them. Round one, but no, they <laughs> got, just did one. Yeah. Want, yeah like two or three left. Yeah. Yeah. But it's nice great to, to see. see this new generation coming yes, through. Definitely. And I see the, oh, I was a maturity and the tactics of these younger blokes are coming in. And also, ladies as well. They're yeah. doing very well too. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it's this new generation. Yeah, I think it's maybe Glins, two or three years. Yeah. And the Djokovic's and the yeah. Federer. Of course, Federer is retired. Yeah. Nadal. Mm, let's see how we go. But I think yeah. this new generation batch yes.
1: is mm, getting ready, some great getting players. There. Yeah, definitely. This is
0: going to be interesting. Really interesting.
1: Hmm? Yeah, true. All right. With that, let's, let's move on. We're going to finish the show here because we are getting a bit over time. I'm a bit excited after <laughs> We just came from a holiday. Yeah, so came back from a holiday. Holidays. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll be in time next episode, promise. So before we go, we'd love to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the Catholics of Oz. Today, we want to thank Enrique G, Daniel M, David F, George and Veronica C, and Martin L. Through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give, make it possible for the Catholics of Oz and all of the other shows at StarQuest to continue. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd love to um, get your feedback on anything that we talked about on the show. You can visit you can visit us and give feedback by going to sqpn.com slash oz. We can also find the links from today's episode. And while you're on the SQPN website, sign up to the newsletter and, and get information and updates about your favorite show, sqpn.com slash about slash newsletter. Come and talk to us on SQPN's Discord, sqpn.com slash Discord. We're we're, uh, there, so you can have a chat with us if you like. And you can also chat with hosts of other shows there too. And you can also find more about the shows, including ours, on StarQuest socials. So facebook.com slash StarQuest Media and Twitter at SQPN. I keep forgetting Twitter or X, but whatever. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, does Twitter even exist anymore? Or is it just now? The website is twitter.com, but the branding is X. I don't know. I, I, honestly, I haven't been a, on it in X, quite a while now. So I've, X also known as <laughs> marks the spot, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, it got a bit toxic recently and I'm like, uh, let's take a break. Uh, not again. Yeah. Really? Th- yeah. Oh, that's a okay. discussion for another time. It just has a yeah, way you know? Definitely. Yeah. Anyway, we also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Catholics of Oz spelled OZ. And you can talk to us there if you'd like to talk to us directly. and you you can send us emails at catholicsofoz at sqpn.com. Lito, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was good to start the year again with you. Yeah, it's been great, Lindsay.
0: Oh, the trip was awesome.
1: And um, I was so tired. Yeah. Sake, awesome. It yeah. was so awesome. And I'm sure in a couple of weeks we'll hear about Caroline's New Zealand trip as well. That'd be good. Oh yay. Go go go, Calib- go, yeah. go go! Go. yeah, I know, I know. And once again, I'm Lindsay Sant, and thank you so much for listening to episode 112 of the Catholics of Oz on StarQuest.
0: Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy: The Secrets of Star Trek. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found, or at sqpn.com/slash Star Trek. We'd like to thank Patrick McCaffrey of Moonshadow Studios for editing this episode. To have your audio edited professionally and with care, check out more of Patrick's work at moonshadowstudios.biz. That's moonshadowstudios.biz.